0: We all need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Yes, there are physical enemies coming against them as we see them, these people, this whole group of people that encircle them. But our battle is against Satan. We know that. And therefore, we need to stand firm in the Lord and the strength of His might. We're going to see Nehemiah does that.
1: Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Dave, today it's letter day, and I have a letter from Craig from Idaho. He wrote,
0: thank you for sending me the CD I requested and doing so, so promptly. You reflect Jesus well. Praise the Lord, Craig. Well, Craig, we are so thankful for the staff that the Lord has brought to the ministry of equipping the saints. And by his grace, they do reflect Jesus well. And I am so thankful for their help and service unto him and getting all the the behind-the-scenes things done. And uh, God is so good to have blessed us with servants who love him.
1: And, Greg, today's message gives us a lot of review of the past several broadcasts.
0: Yes, it does, Dave, but it's all leading to something very encouraging. So turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 7
1: through 23. Well, thanks, Greg. And as always, if you have to miss a portion of today's broadcast, you can hear this entire program online at etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. Now, let's join Greg for today's message.
0: Well, have you ever done a job or... Anything where you have forgotten something that you needed, whether it's a tool or whatever it might be, you get to the job and you don't have what you need to do the job. Well, in reality, we have work to do for the Lord. And today I believe we're going to see that not only do we have to do what he desires us to do, that we have some things that we need to bring along, that we should have with us at all times, at all times when we are serving the Lord. And I believe we're going to see it has to do with the fact that we have enemies and we have opposition. Ultimately, Satan is our enemy. And so with that in mind, we're going to continue to look at, from the book of Nehemiah, how we can keep from being overcome by the enemy's attacks. You see, when we get attacked, it's tempting for us to give up. It's tempting for us to get frustrated. It's tempting for us to just say, forget it. And the Lord doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to endure, to persevere, to continue in his work. And so how can we keep from being overcome? Well, we're going to continue to look at how we can resist Satan's schemes. So turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we are looking at verses 7 through 23. And you might remember that Nehemiah happens in the time of the Jews who had been exiled to Babylon, but there has been two returns, the first one under Cyrus, the second one under Ezra, and now Nehemiah is returning for the third time we have Jews coming back, which is Nehemiah and the group that's with him. And within this, we came to chapter 1, and we saw that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. And that he had heard news of the rebuilding of the walls, but that things were not good, that the walls were not being rebuilt, that they were actually in shambles, and that the gates of Jerusalem were burned with fire. And he was concerned because the people who had gone there specifically to do that were in great distress And so he, in chapter 1, is mourning over that and weeping over that, but yet praying about what the Lord would have him do. And he prays for four months, and it becomes evident that God is going to use him to be that which would come and help these Jews in the building of the walls. And as he prays, he prays for favor with the king, and he does go before the king in chapter 2. And the king asks him what he requests, and Nehemiah prayed to the Lord his God. He prayed. Nehemiah is a godly man. And the king gave him his request to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to have all the necessities that he would need to get there through the provinces and also the wood and everything he would need to do it. And God graciously was upon him. His good hand was upon Nehemiah. And so we saw also in chapter 2 that as Nehemiah was coming, the enemies were revealed or were introduced to Sanballat and Tobiah. And it was a great evil to them that someone would come to help the Jews. So Nehemiah finally arrives, and he arrives. He's very wise. He's very prayerful and very wise in terms of what he does. He goes around the city at night. He goes around the walls inspecting things. He doesn't tell anyone so that the word won't get out. And then he brings the Jews together, those who are rebuilding, and he calls upon them to get to the work with him, to work together, to build the walls. And they agree to do so after he shares that God's good hand had been upon him, how God had worked in the heart of the king. And so with that in mind, they begin to do the work. They begin to rebuild the walls. They're invited to do so, and they get to work And then we came to chapter 3, which is really an overview of how everyone worked together under his leadership with the right heart to build the walls and repair the gates. And it's from this point, if you were to only come to chapter 3, you'd think that everything was good and everything was fine, that they got it done. But actually, that was an overview, because from chapters 4 and on, we begin to see the process of how it was done. And specifically in chapters 4 through 6, we see the opposition mounting against the work of God through Nehemiah and those Jews who were willing to serve and build the walls and repair the gates. And so then we see them coming. We came to chapter 4 in the beginning. We saw Sanball, Tobiah, and this Gershom the Arab mocking Nehemiah, despising them and the builders, causing them to be discouraged, to be demoralized through their words. And we saw one of Satan's tactics— which is to use insults, words, things like that to demoralize God's people. And Nehemiah brought it right to the Lord and prayed. And he prayed in a way that God would take care of them righteously according to their wickedness, that God would judge them and take care of them. And it's from this point we come to the point where the people have gotten back to work, and now we're going to come and see that there's still more opposition, more opposition aimed to cause them to stop working And we're going to see how we can keep from being overcome by those temptations to stop working as we face opposition. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7 to 23, and I'm going to start with verse 7. Now it came about when Sanballat Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on, that the breaches began to be closed. They were very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. But we prayed to our God, and because of them we set up guard against them day and night. Here's where we're going to start as we look at our passage. And I believe we're going to see and be reminded that Satan uses people to hinder the work of God. We need to expect that to happen. He uses people to hinder the work of God. And here we have these enemies, as they will be called later on, enemies being revealed again and being introduced. We have here in verse 7, Sanballat and Tobiah, right? We saw them before. Look back at chapter 2, verse 10. This was when Nehemiah was coming. They heard that he was on his way. They didn't even know what he was going to be doing specifically, but he was going to help the Jews. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Eminent official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them. It was a great evil to them, by the way. That's a good translation. That someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. We have these two leaders in terms of the enemies, and we're going to see them continually throughout this book as we continue on. But we've seen them already. They've already been introduced, but I'm going to just share a little bit about them, and then we'll get to our passage here. But we have Sandbelt. first of all, the Horonite. And the term Sanballat, I think, in Hebrew means strength. Okay, There's other meanings for it, but I think that's what applies here. And he's a Horonite, and I believe he's not from Beth Horim, which is Ephraim. I believe he's from Horanam, which is in Moab. And we saw that he was one who was in great authority, He was possibly the governor of Samaria. That would be north of Judah and Jerusalem. And we see references to his name as being governor, but it's possible historically that that's his son. But he had great power, I believe, but probably as the governor of Samaria. And he is a Moabite. We also see in chapter 13 that when Elishib the high priest, has his grandson actually sins and intermarries with one of Sanballat's daughters. Not good. Not good. We're going to see back in Ezra, but also in Nehemiah, that this intermarrying is a big problem. It's a big problem because those who don't know the Lord turn hearts away from the Lord, turn people's hearts away. So then we have this official, and he has great authority, obviously, as we see in this passage. Then we have Tobiah. Now, Tobiah, his name means Yahweh is my God. Tobiah, Yah, Yahweh. And he is also an enemy of Nehemiah and the people and the Lord, But he is one who we've seen and will see infiltrates the Jews. He infiltrates them religiously. Later on, he's going to have a place in the temple, chapter 13, that is given to him from Elisha, the high priest. And Nehemiah is going to have to kick him out of there, okay? And this Tobiah guy, he infiltrates. And he is called Tobiah the Ammonite back in chapter 2, verse 10. And indeed, we know that the Moabites and the Ammonites were descendants of Lot's sin with his daughters when he thought the world was done and he needed to repopulate And in sin, we have those people who are the consummate enemies of Israel to this day. And we've looked at this passage in Psalm 83, and we'll look at it again as we look at see the motivation and heart behind these enemies, what's really going on, the hatred that they have. Look at Psalm 83, Because we think they are our enemies, and yes, they are, practically speaking, but they are really the Lord's enemies. And therefore, if we are the Lord's, then they are our enemies. Psalm 83, verse 1. A song, a psalm of ASAP. O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. O God, do not be still. For behold, thine enemies make an uproar. And those who hate thee have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against thy people. We're going to see this today, by the way. They make shrewd plans against thy people, and they conspire together against thy treasured ones. They have said, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind against thee. Do they make a covenant? The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria also has joined with them. They have become the help to the children of Lot. Selah. So we have Sanballat and Tobiah here, and yet we've got some more enemies. Back in our passage, look in verse 7, we have some new enemies Now it came about, chapter 4, verse 7, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard. So you've got Sanballat, Tobiah, he's the Samaritan governor probably, but he is a Moabite. You've got Tobiah, he is mixed in with the Jews, and he is an Ammonite. And then we have here the Arabs, and you might remember we saw Gershom, the Arab with Sanballat and Tobiah earlier in this chapter. He was joined in in the mocking and all that, right? We saw that. And so we have the Arabs and their enemies, and that would speak of the inhabitants of Arabia, okay? And then we also have the Ammonites, not just Tobiah, but we got the Ammonites. These would be the offspring of Lot's sin with his younger daughter, and they are Tobiah's people, okay? And these Ammonites lived in a region east of Samaria, okay? And that was east of the Jordan River, and so they were northeast of Judah and Jerusalem. And by the way, the Arabs were south of Judah and Jerusalem. And then we have the Ashdodites. This would be Philistines from the area, a town of Ashdod. And you might remember that these are the relatives of the bad guys who took the ark and brought it into the house of Dagon. You know that story, right? <laughs> you know that true story. First Samuel 5, we know that God took care of them, didn't he? He sure did. You can read about that in 1 Samuel 5. And obviously you've got Sanballat line with the Moabites. They're just across the Dead Sea to the east of Jerusalem, and he's probably the governor. You've got Tobiah, you've got the Arabs, you've got the Ashdites. They're actually surrounded, by the way. This surrounds Judah and Jerusalem. It's a full circle around them. And so notice what happens when the enemies of Judah and Jerusalem hear what's going on. Back in our passage, now, it came about when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem went on and that the breaches began to be closed, they became very angry. They burned literally with much anger. They You know, we're not immune to those emotions. If you've ever been angry, you understand what that is. Now, this is a wicked anger, and we know that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, and we know that we as believers are to be angry, but sin not, not even let the sun go down on our irritation. But here, they are angry. They are hot. They are extremely angry. This whole group that surrounds, when they hear that the walls are continuing to be repaired, and that the breaches are actually beginning to be Closed. Now you might remember how Satan used Sandod and Tobiah back in chapter four, a little earlier in one through three, to mock and to despise the Jews, to demoralize the builders. And so they probably thought, hey, it's gonna work, they're gonna give up. Now they've heard it didn't work. It didn't work, and they're really mad. So then, we also need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Yes, there are physical enemies coming against them as we see them, these people, this whole group of people that encircle them. But our battle is against Satan. We know that. And therefore, we need to stand firm in the Lord and the strength of his mind. We're going to see Nehemiah does that by virtue of how he responds. He does do what we see in Ephesians chapter 6. So then, we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but yet they are coming against us. And then coming against them here, as we see in our passage, they were very angry. And then look here at verse eight. And all of them conspired together. That's all the enemies that surround them. This is not a few guys. This is a lot of people. Okay. Conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. They're no longer just mocking. They're wanting to come fight. They're going to come fight against them. They want to cause a disturbance or confusion. Certainly they want to stop the work. That's their goal. We'll see. They want to stop the work. They want to come against Jerusalem as a whole and cause a disturbance, confusion. And notice we're going to see what they plan to do in verse 11. Go down to verse 11 because they're planning a sneak attack and they want to wipe them out. Look at verse 11. And our enemies said they will not know or see us when we come among them and kill them and put a stop to the work. They want to come and do a sneak attack and kill them and stop the work. And it came about when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come against us from every place where you may turn. The plan is surround them, come and kill them, And stop the work. This is more than just saying, look at that wall, it's shabby, if a fox jumps on it, it'll fall down. It has gotten a little more intense now, okay? They're actually coming out to get them, to destroy them. And by the way, we gain a picture here because we think of Satan as someone who's just gonna get a little mocking here and there. He wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. Folks, it doesn't stop when he doesn't get his way. He is our consummate enemy. And he will soon be crushed at our feet. We see that in Romans chapter 16. But he is our enemy, and we better fight with the weapons that God has for us, not with our own wisdom and strength, but for those weapons, which are for the destruction of the forces and evil things that Satan rules and reigns over. So then, their goal is ultimately, end of verse 11, to stop the work. God's goal is for us to do the work, It is Satan's goal to stop the work. He will do anything to stop the work of Christ in our lives, in all the spheres that we are to serve him. We're to serve him heartily. men, when we do our work at work, we're to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We're to serve one another in the body of Christ. In all these spheres, everywhere, Satan wants to stop the work. Now, he'll use people to do that, to say things that cause us to be scared or discouraged or demoralized, but then he may use outright attacks to cause us to stop, to stop, okay? And we're seeing that in this picture here. You know, the Lord Jesus made it clear, if the world hates you, John 15:18, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word which I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Remember, they hate the Lord, but we're the Lord, so they hate us. Right? We see that. So then Satan's desire is to put a stop to the work using his cronies under his domain, held captive to do his will. And God's desire is for us to persevere. So what does Nehemiah do about this? Look at what happens. Look at what happens. And all of them conspired, verse 8, together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. So what does Nehemiah do? Verse 9, but we prayed to our God. Isn't that great? That's what he did. We prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Now, because of the second half of this verse here speaks of setting up a guard against them day and night, I believe this verse is a summary of what happens from this point on, because the rest of it is how they heard about it, the threats that were coming, which they hadn't heard about yet. We're going to see it was a sneak attack. They hadn't heard about it till a little later on, as we'll see. But here, Nehemiah is saying, in summary, this is what they're doing. They're coming against us. So we prayed and we set up a guard. And I believe that's what the rest of the passage about. So it would be woefully wrong for us to not see the rest of the passage in the context of prayer because that's what's going on here. And then the rest is setting up that guard. We'll see day and night how they did it. So then they knew they were coming, so they prayed and set up a guard. We prayed to our God. This is where we need to be because the battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan and his evil forces of wickedness, right? And so then, Nehemiah has exhibited throughout this book the priority of prayer. Remember his prayer in chapter 1, right? And his prayer in chapter 2 before the king, right? And here we see his prayer earlier. Take a look at verse 4. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before thee, for they have demoralized the builders. The first thing Nehemiah does is pray. And so often when we are attacked, the first thing we do is figure out how we're going to defend ourselves or whatever it might be. And the first thing we need to do is pray. Then we set up that defense in the context of how God would fight for us and defend us. We need to be praying. We need to be on our knees. This is so crucial. If you don't catch anything else from this, we need to catch this. He says, but we prayed to our God, He is our God. He's our God because we are His people. Because we, through faith in Jesus Christ, have been delivered from darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We are His people. We were once not a people, but by His mercy through Christ, we have become His people. So we prayed to our God. We see here, and we need to do that. We saw this last week in Second Chronicles 20 with Jehoshaphat when everyone was coming against them, right? We saw that, and he prays. He gathers the people to seek the Lord and prays. We are powerless against this multitude, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Our eyes are on thee. We prayed to our God. And also, if you think about the full armor of God, we would be woefully incorrect to not see prayer as part of that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm not going to read the whole part, but I want to show you how prayer is integrally connected to being protected from our enemy, Satan, and thus his cronies and those who are held captive by their own desires to do his will.
1: If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the Ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, today's message gave us a lot of review of the past several broadcasts, but as we close today's broadcast, give us a takeaway from your message
0: well dave the takeaway is that we will have enemies Uh, there will be those who oppose us as we try to obey the lord in our marriages at work or in ministry and you say well that doesn't sound very encouraging and i would say yes but it's not the whole story indeed we're going to see in the next few broadcasts we serve a great and awesome god who will fight for us as we serve him
1: As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you'd like a complimentary CD of today's broadcast, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again tomorrow right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a broadcast ministry of Equipping Bible Church.